Welcome to episode 28 of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Christianity has enjoyed a major revival in China in recent years. Official data from the government suggests that there are well over 30 million followers of the faith, a tenfold increase since the country started opening up to the outside world in the early 1980s. And those figures only count the people who worship at registered churches. Research suggests that many more Christians worship in unofficial churches, both Protestant and Roman Catholic. However, the relationship between the Christians and the communists is growing increasingly uneasy. In some places, particularly Zhejiang province, churches have been demolished and crosses torn down. As a result, China has been condemned by religious leaders from abroad. And the Chinese state often seems to take the view that the Christian church is an agent of Western values. So the line between religion and politics becomes very blurred. Joining me today on the podcast to talk about China and Christianity is Stephen Chan, Professor of World Politics at the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London. Stephen, I'd like to start with a question which may help us to get a better estimate of the number of Christians in China. What's the difference between an official and an unofficial church and how many people belong to them? Well, the exact numbers in the unofficial churches is, of course, an estimate. Uh, to be an official church, you've got to be registered with one of the state bodies. And this is very, very much an organ of state that regulates the extent of the functionality of these churches. So we've got a reasonable fix on the numbers in the Protestant churches, for instance, and the Catholic church that have been officially recognized by the state organs probably something like 30 million Protestants who have been registered and something up to about 12 million Catholics. Now, having said that, you're probably looking at a Protestant population that is 100 million strong. So the majority of the Protestants are not registered. They belong to, for what of another word, but they really are regarded as outlaw churches. They're not recognized. They're subject to persecution. Uh, They basically are outside of constitutional provision for freedom of worship. I want to pick up on that idea of persecution later in our conversation, but perhaps the most visible growth in Christianity over the past several years has occurred among the urban Chinese. It's led to the emergence of what some people have termed boss Christians. In other words, church members who are relatively wealthy, well-educated, professional people, they've probably got some management responsibility at work. Can you say something more about those people? What you've got is uh, cities basically fulfilling their functions as melting pots, and that includes the proliferation of different religious persuasions, and certainly Christianity is enjoying a vogue in the cities. Now, the cities are, in fact, places where this is possible because of the tight control that the Communist Party has over small communities in the rural areas. It's very, very difficult to do anything that is unilateral or full of individual initiative in many of the rural areas. So the growth of religion in the cities becomes feasible because not everything can be within the control of the Communist Party. Now, having said that, what you've got in terms of melting pots 
is in fact not just Chinese people becoming more cosmopolitan in their outlook, but in fact, you've also got the influx of foreigners, either as visitors, as business people, as students, etc. And they bring all kinds of new influences, including, of course, persuasion towards Christianity and indeed towards other religions. So all of this gels in the cities and as part of a cosmopolitan trend that's not just confined to religion. Uh, you'll find this in music, for instance, the advent of Western tastes in music, fashion, all of that kind of thing. But religion is definitely something which is meaningful because it gives some kind of structure to life that is an alternative to the structure that is imposed by the Communist Party. In other words, in the absence of a civil society, religion provides something which fills that kind of vacuum and which is very, very hard for the Communist Party to wipe out entirely. I've noticed that freedom of religion is enshrined in the Chinese constitution alongside freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of association. Should we read any significance into that? Oh, there are all kinds of freedoms in China, and I think you're referring to Article 36 of the Constitution. And it does indeed seem at first glance to protect freedom of religion. But if you read it closely, the exact wording is it protects the freedom of normal religious activities. You can't marry religion with other freedoms. So if you wanted to say that you had freedom of worship, because God didn't mandate censorship, then you're going to be in an awful lot of trouble. One of the major themes on this podcast recently has been the way in which the Chinese Communist Party is emphasising its core original values, including atheism. Given that strict ideological environment, how do people become converted to religion? Are they being won over by foreign missionaries from the United States or South Korea? What, what brings them to faith? Uh, there's a lot of missionary effort uh, in China. Uh, a lot of, let us say, interestingly dogmatic idealism on the part of American missionaries. I'm not totally certain they have a huge effect. They certainly have some effect. But I'm very much of the opinion that people are attracted by religion and by Christianity because of the structure of alternative values that it gives people. And these are absolutely alternatives to the values of the Chinese Communist Party, which is why there's always been an uneasy relationship in China between state party and religion, because it's not just a case of alternative institutions, it's alternative institutions with alternative values. And that's why these values are absolutely looked at very closely in case they become disruptive. This becomes the great get-out clause. So you can shut down a religion or persecute it if you deem it disruptive. But it does provide an alternative vehicle for feeling about what is ethical in life. It does provide, in some ways, an interesting network for people who can't advance in the Communist Party. You know, the Communist Party, if you rise in it, that's a great escalator to all kinds of things, uh, privileges, business contracts of one sort or another. If you're not going to be a party carder that has that kind of inside track, then actually membership of a very, very influential church can do the same thing. So there are material reasons as well as spiritual reasons, but I think chiefly because of the alternative vehicle of values and ethics that 
allow you to have, as it were, a sojourn away from the straitjacket of the Communist Party. I found a quote from Xi Jinping from a speech that he gave in 2016, and he said this, we must resolutely guard against overseas infiltrations via religious means. I feel that touches on your realm, Stephen, which is politics. Is there a sense in which Christianity is a conduit by which outsiders, particularly Americans, might attempt to disrupt Chinese society? I don't think it's a successful conduit. If anyone intends for it to be a conduit, uh, the American missionaries who are trying to penetrate China uh, with very mixed success, as I said, are not exactly well connected politically. So there's no straight line connection to the importation of American political values. Uh, I think that what is at stake here is the infiltration of foreign missionaries who preach not just a Christianity, but a Christianity that is prepared to bypass the state and to bypass the party. In other words, some fundamental religions say that you owe allegiance only to God. And that means that you don't have to have any allegiance to the state or to the party. Now, insofar as religions or religious beliefs or missionaries coming in to China from the West might be proclaiming that kind of gospel, that there's no intermediate, as it were, organization between heaven and earth, this bypasses the Communist Party, and it's that kind of foreign influence that I think Xi Jinping would very, very greatly want to resist. Now, you used quite a strong word earlier on in our conversation. You used the word persecution. Do you think it's too strong to say that there's been something of a campaign against Christianity under Xi Jinping? I've read reports of people being imprisoned, of churches being knocked down, even of Christians being tortured. What do you make of that situation? Is it persecution? I think that what's happening, and this is particularly in Zhejiang uh, province, where there has been very, very visible persecution, not so much of individuals, but of the church as an organized entity and as a visible organized entity. So attacks on church property, for instance, and particularly attacks on the symbolisms of the Christian church. There's been a very great drive in many parts of Zhejiang province to uh, tear down crosses. That's taken as a symbol of defiance of an alternative set of values, as I said. Now, it's not like that very much outside Zhejiang province. So what I understand by this is twofold. First of all, local party cadres are behind the detailing of this campaign. But having said that, they are given blessing from the central party. And the central party benefits from the persecution in this one particular province because they can use it to send a signal to Christian communities in other parts of China. Basically, don't be disruptive or this is going to happen to you. So you have, as it were, making an example of one province to keep all of the other ones in line. So a warning to all Christians, but not yet a full-scale campaign of persecution against all Christians in China. How have followers of Christianity in China responded to the attempts by the authorities to exert greater control over the churches? Well, when it all comes down to what you can and can't do, no one can interrupt your prayers to God. 
And so you get down on your knees and pray. That is one of the last private recourses left to people, and they will take advantage of it. They would react with dismay to their churches being attacked or persecuted or threatened. But don't forget, it's quite easy in China, if you're a citizen, to attract warning signs for all kinds of things. So religion is just one more. Uh, however, what you have with religion is that you've got a cadre of people, friends, fellow members of your congregation, etc., who will all be in the same boat. Uh, curiously, what this does is to construct a vehicle for solidarity. So the Chinese state or the party in attacking organized religion may well be, in fact, entrenching a form of solidarity that it did not want. Well, that brings me to one last point, which has been on my mind. Looking back over the history of the Christian religion, particularly the early church, it often seems that it was strongest when it was in opposition to the state. The message seems more relevant. People's faith seems more real. There's greater solidarity between believers. How do you see the outlook for Christianity in China? I think it's going to survive. I think it's even going to grow. Uh, despite efforts to curtail or restrict uh, the speed of its growth. And not just because of the attraction of religion and Christianity, as I said, but for two reasons. The first, as I said, cosmopolitanism is inevitably going to have an influence on China, religion's part of that, and also Chinese history itself. What you have in the middle part of the 1800s, for instance, with the uprising of the Taiping rebels, uh, something that the Chinese state doesn't sing very much about, but it was the first huge nationwide uprising against totalitarian dictatorship on the part of the emperor. But that was organized along rather imaginative Christian lines, not Christian as we would recognize the term. Uh, the leaders of the rebellion didn't have much access to the scriptures. They basically made it up. But based on their understanding of the Christian ethic of equality and of brotherly and sisterly love, and that kind of thing put down a marker in Chinese society, which I don't think can be easily eradicated. But what you can do is twofold. Rebellion is possible, but rebellion based on brotherhood and sisterhood is also something which is sanctioned by God. So if churches provide a vehicle for that kind of alternative thinking, well, it's no wonder that the state and the party get worried. At the same time, it also makes the churches almost impossible to abolish completely. Well, thank you, Stephen, for coming back with such thought-provoking answers to my questions. That was Stephen Chan, Professor of World Politics at SOAS, University of London. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities, including our latest courses and research, on our website. The website is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine, and it should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. <laughs>